0: Live in the WLIWFM wfm studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday, August 3rd, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. The New York State Board of Elections tentatively approved certifying a controversial touchscreen voting machine knocking down concerns from a Democratic commissioner and watchdog Groups about coding and security issues. Yancy Roy reporting on at newsday.com that the board, consisting of two Democrats and two Republicans, voted three to one to allow the use of Express Vote XL, a touchscreen machine offered by Nebraska-based. Election systems and software, while stipulating the company address software coding issues and submit an update. The vote was a defeat for good government groups, which said the touchscreen system has had problems in other states and contended there is no reason for the state to potentially switch from the simple hand marked paper ballots used by almost all New Yorkers in recent elections. Importantly, if the machine gains full approval, its use isn't mandatory. It means it's just one purchase option for counties. Per state law, counties make individual decisions on voting machines. If used locally, voters would touch a computer screen to cast a ballot, as opposed to marking a paper ballot, as about 99% of New York voters do now. Common Cause New York criticized the outcome, calling it and, quote, exceedingly poor decision ahead of the 2024 presidential election year when election security remains a fraught topic. And, quote, further, the touchscreen machines are much more expensive than optical scan paper ballots. In other news here on Long Island's East, and we find the epicenter of the escalating battle to curb water consumption, Right here, Suffolk County Water Authority officials said uh, 70 percent of the water usage has been for lawn watering and irrigation, depleting water tanks overnight and raising concerns about whether there should be uh, whether there would be enough water to fight fires or keep critical care facilities running. All but one of the top 15 highest water users in Suffolk County last year were on the South Fork, according to water records. Newsday obtained under an FOI, a Freedom of Information law request. Joe Workmeister reporting on Newsday.com that records also show nine of the top residential water users last year were in Southampton Village, where last summer's water emergency started. Five of the top 11 users were located along Meadow Lane on a street nicknamed Billionaires Lane. Suffolk began to experience drought levels earlier this summer, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, and current levels are listed as abnormally dry. Water officials have urged town and villages on the east end to adopt ordinances codifying the watering policy to bolster its initiative. They've also asked property owners to eliminate midday irrigation but municipalities have not done so and the agency has no enforcement powers east end town and village officials expressed interest in spreading the water authorities conservation message but have not yet adopted an ordinance one measure being considered mandates that residents not irrigate between 10 a.m and 4 p.m since most of the water spread during that time evaporates scwa has also Increased its rebate program, now allowing customers to earn up to $250 per account instead of $50 by using water-saving devices such as a rain sensor, pool cover, or smart irrigation device. Speaking of the South Fork, East Hampton Village says it will advance plans to rebuild two basketball courts in Herrick Park this year, relocating them to the northern end of the park near Newtown Lane. Michael Wright reporting on 27east.com that the two former courts, which were torn up this spring as part of the $1.1 million renovation of the park's southern ball fields and courts, will be rebuilt in a section of the park between the current pay- playground and Newtown Lane, uh, according to East Hampton Village Administrator Marcus Belandrin. The reason for relocating the courts from their former site at the opposite end of Herrick Park was to get them away from homes that line the southern end of the park plus the old courts built in 1973 were, according to Mayor Jerry Larson, in complete disrepair. The new courts will be rededicated in honor of Roy Mabry, a local teen who died in 1972, for whom East Hampton Village residents raised money to construct the courts in his honor. Beladrin said he hoped the courts would be reconstructed by the end of the year to coincide with the 50th anniversary of their original dedication. And finally, residents will have an opportunity to speak on the site plan for a proposed industrial park on Middle Country Road in Calverton during the Riverhead Planning Board meeting this evening. Alec Lewis reporting on RiverheadLocal.com that HK Ventures of Great Neck wants to build eight warehouse buildings totaling 412,000 square feet on a 30-acre site on the south side of the state road. Buildings on the site are allowed to be up to 35 and a half feet tall. The site is located next to tractor supply and is currently vacant agricultural land. The public hearing will be held during the planning board's 6 p.m. meeting at Riverhead Town Hall this evening. HK Ventures and other industrial developments seeking to build warehouses in Calverton have been scrutinized by some residents who express worries the development could overburden roadways, impact air quality, and change the character of the Calverton Hamlet. The site plan process is going forward, despite the result of the environmental review for the project being challenged by the developer in court. Reading the weather in Babylon, the hometown of our first guest this morning, Dr. Stephen Post, joining us for the Thoughtful Thursday. Segment underwritten by Grace and Grit, looking like a mostly sunny Thursday in Babylon with a high near 79 degrees. South wind, 7 to 15 miles per hour. Tonight, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 2 a.m. Partly cloudy, otherwise, with a low around 69 degrees. Southwest wind, 11 to 14 miles per hour. Right now, it's 74 degrees. And I've got a beautifully synchronistic playlist planned for you this morning. I was originally going with Carolina tracks because uh, I've all right. I've been having a tough time personally, and it all came to a head yesterday, which was the thousandth edition of the show. And I had planned to do uh, an evergreen for you, so I did all thousand tracks, totally forgetting that I had booked guests for that morning, who, by the way, were very kind and understanding, and wonderful. We're going to be having Leslie Perlman on with you on a future edition of The Heart, not too far away. And then Carolina Cohn will be uh, at the bottom of the next hour with us. I did a lot of Carolina tracks and was able to match it up with Blue Angel tracks uh, in honor of Dr. Post's book, God and Love on Route 80, because it's it's it figures quite into the book. We'll be talking about that with him in just a minute. But Carolina actually does have a nice fit in, so it was very synchronistic that uh, Carolina Cohn was rescheduled to today. All right, so let's play a couple uh, Blue Angel tracks, and then we'll get right into it with Doctor Post. We're going to put him between the Squirrel Nut Zippers and the Love Language. All Blue Angel tracks, we're going to kick it off with the Forest Rangers featuring Billy Valentine right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love.
1: You can't squeeze blood from a rolling stone And love can't live on faith alone Cause the flesh is weak when you're on your own For so long You can't blame the heart for wanting more For drifting out open door, the soul's gotta find what it's searching for, right or wrong, nobody knows nothing, that's all I really know, they say if you love something, you gotta let it go, living in
0: track that I'd never heard before putting together this playlist for you this morning. Blue Angel from the Forest Rangers featuring Billy Valentine from the Land Ho record of 2015 going to one I have heard before. I think I bought this record for like 25 cents, 50 cents, at very little money at like a church flea market on the Palisades long, long time ago. And I can still remember. This is the Squirrel Nut Zippers Blue Angel from the Hot Record of 1997 right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Stay tuned for Dr. Post right after this.
2: A traitor girl your papa never told you now you're all alone out in the world Sirens are screaming inside the winding sheets are pale the devil Well, that <laughs>
0: Angel leading us into the thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Grace and Grit, welcoming back on the program Doctor Stephen Post Uh, in honor of the Blue Angel dream that you had. That is very much a big part of God and love on Route 80. I had a Blue Angel dream myself. It wasn't reoccurring like yours, but it was special. Uh, for me, I was obsessed as a child with being able to identify the exact moment when I fell asleep. And uh, of course, I failed at it many, many times over. But one night, I think I did it, or at least I dreamed I did. It was at the end of a cycle of, of like, hypnotizing geometric displays, like a, like a screensaver, creating swirling, dancing, colorful shapes and patterns. Uh, it was in this space between the waking world, and the dreaming one, which is something you also talk about in your book. And an angel appeared and told me she was the angel of my dreams. And uh, she showed my mind as if it were a computer with all different files and sections upon which she could draw upon for my dreams. I was fascinated years later when learning about learning about how the brain gathers files and processes experiences into schema, uh, it, was, it was quite exactly what the angel had explained to me. You had a very different blue angel dream, one that was pretty prophetic uh, when you actually do take Route 80 and head west. Uh,
3: that's true. I was a young kid. I was born in Babylon,
0: the, the Babylonian.
3: The uh, Babylonian and uh, I went up to a school in New Hampshire called St. Paul's, right. which was a little bit highfaluting, probably too much so for me. And you were very different. I was very different. I was very different. I didn't go to hockey games. I wandered around the wooded paths. And we were I...
0: so similar
3: in that <laughs> way. It was like,
0: uh, like we have. There are many things that we have in common spiritually. One is this promise we both seem to have made to ourselves as kids never to lose touch with our inner child. Can you talk about that practice and what it means before you tell the story of the Blue Angel?
3: Well, it's really important to stay in touch with your true self. And everything in life is trying to pull you away from that. Right. You're being uh, lured by better opportunities, by a little more money here and there. But the things that really count, uh, sometimes you ignore them and you leave them aside, and it's hard to get them back. So you want to be really careful to be true to your deeper self.
0: And it can be hard because, as you mentioned, everything is trying to pull us away, including our parents or uh, our professors. You know, we live in a very goal-oriented society, but I appreciated your note, that a, that a hyper-focus on one's goals can distract from one's destiny unfolding.
3: Yeah, the destiny is deeper than goals. And uh, destiny really conjures up the idea of, of every person being called in certain ways with their gifts to contribute meaningfully to the lives of others. I mean, Picasso and Shakespeare both said that was the purpose of life.
0: Giving is living.
3: Yeah, and 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 being able to focus on your on your assets, on your talents, and not putting them aside for other other reasons that will never really bring you the kind of gratification right. that you're looking for.
0: Right. You talk about uh, however, how how uh, the the scores of people who who uh, never discover that, or you know, they live their lives sort of ignoring that.
3: Yeah. And not, not ignobly, because sometimes, you know, they're just earning a dollar to support the family. And I right. honor that. And, and you know, I've worked in some pretty crummy jobs myself. In Babylon, I used to work in the shipyards and scrape the bottom, the copper bottom paint off boats. Oh, I mean, that's, a, yeah, that's not fun. It's not fun. It's not probably terribly healthy either. Uh, it's the one job like I actually got fired from. But,
0: <laughs> but, but you know, for example, uh, you had a lot of of professors you see you know that really saw Mm -hmm. potential in you and were you know go to yale go to harvard go to college and you had this thing inside of yourself saying well i don't know if that's for me
3: right and
0: and i feel like that's uh something that you know it's all it's not for everyone Uh, these choices and not to say college but these choices that people make for us aren't always, uh, I mean, you, you got to just, you got to look inside right. because that's where the, the answer comes.
3: Yeah. And Gianna, I never felt that I made my life that, I mean, that sounds so arrogant to me. You know, I made my life. I set it up. I'm much more of a journeyman, uh, sort of like Joseph Campbell's a Thousand Faces, where you're following uh, a, a road and you're not sure who you're going to encounter what you're going to encounter, but you know that if you if you respond positively and creatively to the good things that just come along in your pathway, that you're on the right path. Yes. And and I've always lived my life that way. I you know, I, I'm almost embarrassed sometimes when I listen to other people who really planned out their lives. I never planned out my life. And I still haven't. I've had a good life, but I've been following a journey. And I got to know Joseph Campbell because he was Teaching at the University of Chicago Divinity School, and I showed up there for a four-year period once upon a time.
0: Wow! Was that so? Speaking of, this is a nice segue when you talk about uh, following uh, synchronicities and uh, inner inner messaging. Uh, Let's talk about the blue angel dream that you had as a child and what it ultimately meant
3: for you. Well, I will. So you know, this this book is endorsed by my boyhood friend. Charlie Scribner from the publishing family. And he was up there uh, at St. Paul's too, uh, as was uh, Gary Trudeau was up there. And I was different. Everybody knew I was different. Uh, and when I was 15, uh, early in the morning, uh, I I, I kind of woke up, but not entirely. It was like betwixt and between, yes. wake, waking and sleeping. And um, And what I saw in front of me was this this pathway, this road, and it was uh, going to the west. It was very thick with a fog and a haze, and I couldn't see more than just a few inches in front of my nose. Um, It was blue, and to my left, I just saw out of the corner of my eye uh, a a young guy with dirty blonde hair, and he was kind of scrawny, and he was about to jump off a ledge, And then, interestingly enough, uh, into the dream came this face of a woman, a blue angel woman, and she said to me, if you save him, you too shall live. And then she was gone, and the whole place lit up in bright, radiant sun, and I continued traveling to the west. Now, I had no idea what this meant, but I told the story to all my (laughs) friends—
0: Because you had this dream more than once, right?
3: I had it six times over that's a period crazy. of about a year. And that's what what surprised me. And my sacred studies teacher, Rod Wells, who was a Yale Div School graduate and a very distinguished friend of Alan Watts, he was a little worried about me. So so we talked about this in class. and. And I said, "Look, I'm perfectly fine." He he actually took me to Yale Divinity School, right?
0: And you told the and you I, told the I, students. I, I, I
3: told the story, and 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 the, the the Divinity School students in this class. It was run by a guy named Jim Diddies, who was a Jungian psychologist theologian. Uh, he asked me, "So, um, did this make you do anything strange?" And I said, "No, I didn't do anything strange. I wasn't uh, out in the sunlight uh, over, uh, too long, having heat stroke." or uh, getting uh, dyspepsia from bad food. I was fine, and I was functional, but I was having this dream, and I tried to explain it to people, and, and they were cordial. They were tolerant of me, you know, uh, but they thought maybe it was a little odd. And uh, and, and he said, so, so what's it mean to you? And I said, well, you know, up there, uh, we all read Emerson, and we read Emerson's essay, The Oversoul. I pretty, pretty much memorized that when I was a kid. And this is the idea that somehow... Uh, our minds are all part of a larger mind, a one mind, you know, and that's something that physicists like Schrodinger and others, very distinguished people have argued, Larry Dossi. Right. Um, So this idea of the one mind was a big, big thing for me, and I felt that somehow uh, I told them that maybe that was not just good reading, but maybe it was true.
0: And that's very much the overture to God and love on Route 80, this idea of the oversoul. Can you talk a little bit about... Uh, do you think that if more people believed and acted as though we are all one uh how do you think that might affect the, the everything
3: well it, it it would affect everything you know i uh um i recognize individuality of mm-hmm. course and the people have their own journeys you
0: you, you say it's like uh, we're we're all Small flames, yes, in a larger fire.
3: In a lar- yeah, or or all sparks shooting out of the sun, the same sun, and going back there eventually. And so that the idea of the one mind, which is a big idea in 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 American thought, it was part of transcendentalism in Boston, and uh, even one of my great mentors in life, the, the philanthropist investor Sir John Templeton, believed in the one mind. He believed that a lot of creativity wasn't just because and you can I,
0: see you can see that. You can see it happen when you have an idea that you think is very much your own, and then it pops up. You see it popping up out there from others.
3: Yeah, so I spent a pretty good amount of time in India, and um, there's a great story, and there's a movie called The Man Who Knew Infinity about Ramanujan. He was a guy in southern India. He was only 13 years old. He'd never studied mathematics. He would be praying at the foot of his goddess, and he'd have these— inspirations, and he wrote these formulas down in the dirt with his finger, Gianna, next to him. And then he'd come back a little later and he copied them into a notebook. Well, those notebooks, the two notebooks, are in the middle of Trinity College Library at Cambridge University, and they're the basis of a lot of what we know about quantum physics. That's
0: unbelievable. Yeah.
3: And so one of his little uh, algorithms was published in an Indian uh, math mag- uh, magazine. And it got to somebody, uh, Littleton, at, at, uh, at Cambridge. And they invited uh, uh, Ramanujan there. And he lasted a couple of years. But the problem was they wanted him to prove all this stuff. And guess what? He didn't think he had well, to prove it because he, he, he knew it was true. And it was true.
0: Well, it's, it's funny because there are so many writers, uh, artists, myself included, that have created things that uh, you feel— and it, very distinctly, this is not coming from me. It is yes. coming through, through me.
3: The word invasion comes to mind. Yes. So I, 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 you I, use that in the book, I, right? I do, yeah. I, I, I quote some of the great uh, work of W.H. Uh, of Auden. And he, he, was a, he was a teacher uh, at Oxford for a while, and he was a teacher at a, at a private school uh, near, near, uh, near Oxford. And one day, he's, he describes this so beautifully, uh, in a book called *The Protestant Mystics*, he's sitting on the lawn and he's he's with two or three other people and he doesn't know them very well. They're not friends. They're more they're colleagues. And lo and behold, um, he has this amazing creative moral experience, spiritual and moral experience. He just suddenly feels invaded by an energy of love that is much greater than anything he's ever experienced or that ever emanated from him himself. Right, and it was invasive and. And it was astonishing. And uh, as he came out of it, he knew for the first time what it was to love his neighbor as himself because he was doing it. And then later on, a little later on, he asked one of the people there if they'd had a similar experience, and one of them had. And so a lot of moral and artistic and musical experience um, is not simply—even even Einstein went into these sorts of meditative moments, which he called "Godanka." And no one could explain it or understand it. But he never thought that his ideas were coming from me, myself, Albert Einstein. He thought that they were part of a larger mind. And he, he, he actually was a one-mind theorist, as was you know, the person who got the Nobel Prize for sort of proving Einstein's ideas. And that was uh, 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 someone a few years later named Schrodinger. So uh, you know these people are real, and their experiences are deep. And we're just so embarrassed to talk about it.
0: You know, and I really liked, I appreciated you talking about your choice to abstain from alcohol. Yeah, and and what you said to students that yell about it regarding losing Uncle Gary to alcoholism quote He gave up so much in life for one thing, when he could have given up that one thing and had everything.
3: That's a quote for everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I, so I learned that from my, uh, from my uncle Gary, and um, uh, you know Gary was a was a was a good guy, but he died quite young up in Connecticut, uh, and he was an alcoholic, uh, and uh, you know I I just felt uh, that. Alcohol was not a good thing, and I've never been a drinker. And, and, it, and it,
0: it ties in yeah. to this place and yeah. to the infinite mind because in, in your view and, and many folks, it's something that sort of keeps you away. And I know that there's times like in my life where I have uh, failed at uh, living in flow or, you know, felt divorced temporarily from the path. Uh, or being one with the infinite mind. You had a great sentence that talks about this, quote, the test for infinite love is the manner of response to infinite adversity. Uh, How easy, because I think this is something that throws people, sometimes they feel so divorced, they think it'll always be like that. Uh, How easy might it be to get back on the path if you feel... You've strayed from it, or you're you're uh, not able to connect to it.
3: Well, that's what spiritual practice is about. And so, what I've been doing for as long as I can remember, really since high school, I get up early in the morning, usually about five or six o'clock. My wife, who, who saw oh Mitsuko,
0: that. we Mitsuko. should say uh, Mitsuko, <laughs> we we were yeah. saying hello to her. She is yeah. she is she's, she's yeah. with us.
3: Yeah, she's just back from Kyoto, uh, and and I I would get up. And I still get up early in the morning, usually about 5 or 5.30, never later, and I just spend a half an hour, and I meditate, and I say a prayer, and also I visualize a lot. I envision all the people that I kind of know I'm going to encounter over the course of the day, because I have a busy life. I've taught at lots of medical schools, and I just don't necessarily bring this side of me into that context, right. because it's not always welcome. It wouldn't be. But it's still tolerated, and people kind of enjoy it, to tell you the truth. And they show up at the door, and they say, you know, I had an experience like that once upon a time. And I say, oh, let me hear about it. But at any rate, you know, I I envision the people I'm going to encounter. And I I, I say, so what are the expressions of love? I mean, Mm. my definition of love, which I take from a psychiatrist at the University of Chicago, I'm a total Chicago guy, um, when the happiness and security of another is as real to you as your own, and sometimes more so. Like that's with love. With your daughter, yeah. Harmony. Yes. You know, uh That's love. That's what love is. It's not obscure. You don't need a lot of archaic languages. It's just every day, you know, and people can ask themselves if they've had that experience with a friend over a cup of coffee when the friend has had a hard time. But what are the expressions of love? So that's the thing. We don't use the word love typically. We talk about love of chocolate, love of designer jeans, you know, but, but what are the manifestations of love that we use in everyday life? And that's what why good things happen is about. Um, so it could be compassion for someone who's suffering, but not everybody's suffering. Mm. It could be celebration. There's a chapter on celebration. Uh, it, it could be forgiveness. Sometimes people make a medical mistake and they, they, they want to talk about it. And you just want to listen and, and, and help them process it. It could be a lot of different things. It could be just a simple action, of uh, of helping, it, you know. Uh, so so there are many many different expressions of love, including creativity, um, and and that's what I try to focus on. So then I kind of dress rehearse the day in my mind, and then I then I then I drive down 25A toward Stony Brook, and where I work, you know. And and it's I'm not I'm not perfect. I mean, there was a time when there was a guy who stopped at a yellow light completely unnecessarily on the corner of 25A and, and, and Nichols Road. And it, it was going to hold me up for about, I knew for five minutes or 10 minutes, and I had to get to an appointment. And so I just fell full chested on my horn. I didn't yell out an expletive, but you know I'm, I'm capable of, of reacting to the world around me. But the thing is, you, you don't want to be reactive. You want to be responsive. Right. And that has to come from within. You have to discipline yourself internally to do that day, day in and day out.
0: And truly appreciate those little moments, I, which here's a mistake I made is I wanted to bring you a yellow feather that I found recently. I don't know why, but it, it, I thought it was so remarkable to find. And I've been seeing a lot of yellow and orange birds mm-hmm. lately this summer. And so to find that yellow feather amidst this summer of yellow and orange birds was really special for me. But when you notice these little synchronicities, uh, consuming it like it's like it is chocolate or or a designer jean, that's another thing that I found that really helps me stay on the path and magnify those type of things happening. Uh, a lot of people love to talk about manifesting and whatnot. Uh, that's a nice way, yeah, to keep it going.
3: Well, when I was at Reed College, I. Used to read the autobiography of a yogi with Steve Jobs, who sometimes slept Stop on my floor. Stop it! Yeah, he was there for about. And six you months.
0: met Ken Kesey. Well, you studied uh, well, with Robert Bly.
3: Uh, well, Bly. You had Bly the was Dalai
0: the, Lama. He,
3: who Robert Bly was the poet in residence. Po- it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, but that's synchronicity because yes. you don't plan those things; you just encounter right. them, you know. And uh, I mean, little did I know that I'd be sitting at my desk in the medical school at Case Western, and I get a a fax from Sir John Templeton saying, Stephen, we need to start an institute to study the greatest asset in human experience, love. And not just human love, but the love that made humans. And I said, Sir John, what should we call it? In my fax response, he said, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. And I faxed back Sir John. That's that's over the top. Maybe we should call it creative altruism. And he said, no, Unlimited love up to $8.9 million. Yes. And I faxed back just what you That's would have, a Deanna. Great, great name. Sir, I said, Sir John, <laughs> I love those words. They jump right off the page. And he was completely right because we've had huge conferences. We had a huge conference at Oxford, uh, Linacre College this summer. People from all over the world sp- practicing spiritual love, uh, uh, well known, distinguished uh, philanthropists and practitioners of kindness and research scientists. We focused on the love of nature, on many, many things. But the word love is coming back into play. And we're
0: going to play Blue Angel by the Love Language as a beautiful segue out of our Thoughtful Thursday chat underwritten by Grace and Grit with the one and only Dr. Stephen Post, author of, in addition to his other books, God and Love on Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. You can find it. Uh, At your local bookshop, if it's not there, ask them to order you a copy. It's a nice way to uh, support our local uh, bookstores. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Stephen Post. This is the love language, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
4: Star-crossed lovers left uncovered And all eyes on the bride and losing sight Hear the children under the dress she wears tonight And when it slips, she'll sing
0: From the Love Language to Graveyard Club, Chet Atkins on deck. It's the Blue Angel section of our set list on this morning's Heart of the East End. The weekday morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love.